let's continue our worship with the reading of today's scripture passage from uh, the, taken from the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. The Lord's covenant promise to David. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to the Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Randy, for reading our scripture. Thank you, music team, for guiding us into worship. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we'll be. My allergies are acting up, and so if I see that the rain is putting some of you to sleep, I'll be sure to cough straight into the microphone. So be on the lookout for that. Be ready. You know, if you really want to do something nice for somebody, you, you build them a new house. That's the idea behind the Netflix show Instant Dream Home. Have you ever seen this show? If you haven't seen it, it's kind of like the gazillion other home renovation shows out there, but this one's a little bit different in that they completely remodel a home in a single day. And it's a complete surprise to the homeowner. They find somebody who oftentimes is beloved or uh, generous in their community, and somebody wants to give back to them. Maybe this person is generous and giving, and yet their own home is sort of falling apart. And so that's the premise, and they, they get this person out, or this family out of their house for the day, and this team comes in and scrambles to completely redo their whole entire house in a day. Then the homeowner comes back, and you can imagine their shock as they see a brand new home where their old one was standing just that morning. It's a huge and life-changing gesture to have someone build you a new house to completely transform your home. In our scripture passage this morning that we just heard read from 2 Samuel 7, there's a lot of talk about building houses. 
this gesture of building someone a house. David has this idea to build God a new house. But as we just heard, God turns the tables on David and he says, you know what, how about I build you a house instead? David wants to give back to this God who has delivered him time and time again, who has given him the throne, who has defeated his enemies, who's done so much for David. And yet the real surprise of this text here is how God flips this thing upside down and says, I'm the one who's going to do the building. So we continue our series through the life of David. We're calling Pursuing God's Heart. We've seen this guy, David, be a man who pursues God's heart time and again. He's far from perfect, but this characteristic defines him, that he is a man after God's own heart. And so in our story, we pick it up where David is finally now established as king over Israel. We come to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and this is one of the key episodes, one of the key chapters in David's life, and really in the whole Old Testament, in the all of Scripture. And we'll see God's promise here to build David a house, and how that points us as believers to finding rest in God's promises for us in Christ. So as we come to this passage, let's uh, bow for a moment in prayer. Father, we come to you as we do every time we gather in dependence and gratefulness and worship. So, Father, as we've just sang together, we direct every praise to you. You are worthy of our worship. So we thank you for the promises in this passage and the ways that they point us to the promises that are ours in Christ. So grow us together by your Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 2 Samuel 7, if you have a Bible in front of you, that text is also on our uh, website's bulletin page, 2 Samuel 7. Let's just look at the first few verses as we get started. Verse 1, when the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. So remember, David's now fairly newly established as king over the whole nation. He's settled into his palace, it says. It's a time of peace because it says the Lord had given him rest. And don't pass too quickly over those words. Those are important words. That's a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 12. In verse 10, where God promised the nation that there would come a day when they would, after they crossed the Jordan, God one day would give them rest from all their enemies. And so the author starts this chapter with this direct connection to God's promises. God is keeping his word to his people. That's going to be a major theme in what follows, and that's how the author sets it up here. And the context back there in Deuteronomy was the context of right worship, and the kind of worship that God was expecting and asking for. And so it makes sense here that David would want to make a grand gesture of worship now that they're established in the land and in Jerusalem and there's peace. And so he calls this prophet Nathan, who we first see in the story right here. He'll come again later in the story. But he first enters here and David looks to him as a spiritual advisor, like prophets often were to kings. And he says to Nathan, hey, I'm living in this beautiful palace, but look at the ark of God. It's, it's in a tent. Maybe he's a little embarrassed that, they, that he's living in this costly and luxurious home and a little bit more impressive in a sense than God's house. 
the tabernacle. Nathan's first response is, yeah, David, go for it, man. That sounds like a great plan. God's with you. Go. Do it. David's heart for God is evident here in this desire. His intentions are in the right place. It would have been customary for kings in the ancient Near East to build grand temples for their gods in thanks to maybe delivering them from a battle or establishing them. And, and also in hope to secure future blessing and favor from their gods. And Yahweh has just given David victory, remember, in his battles. He's established him. So David wants to give back. He wants to bless God in return and build him a bigger, better house. Now, God knows everything, so he, David couldn't surprise God like they do in that TV show, but he still wants to express his love in this really customary and expected way. So are we following so far? Now look at verse 4. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, uh, Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? And so David's idea here makes a lot of sense, this grand gesture of building a bigger house for God. And as we look back, we know Israel has a long history with the temple after this point in history. So it's maybe easy for us to look back and assume this was always part of God's plan, that God had commanded his people, hey, build me this t uh, temporary tabernacle while you're wandering in the wilderness, but then someday when you get established in the land, I want you to build me a temple, a bigger, better house. But as God reminds Nathan the prophet here, he asked, did I ever once? Ask my people to build me a bigger house? The answer is no. Verse 8, God continues. So now this is what you're to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. So God says, time out, David. Let's, let's take a pause. I'm going to give you a little bit of perspective here. Now, in the verses that we just looked at, in the verses that we just read together, what is God's emphasis over and over and over? It's, it's, look what I've done. Let me just remind you, David, what I've done. David, I, if you remember, David, I took you from the pasture and I put you on a throne. David, if you remember, I, I was with you and I delivered you from all your enemies. I will make your name great. I will give my people a, a land to live in, and I will give them peace. You think you've been carrying me around in a box? I've been carrying you around. Now, this is not a harsh rebuke, so let's not read that into this text. God is not being harsh with David. 
This is a loving reminder, though, of all that God has done. little perspective. God is saying, hey, David, I'm the initiator. I'm the one who blesses. Thank you very much. Pagan kings might have hoped to win more favor from their gods by doing these grand gestures for them, but here God is saying, David, you already have my favor. You can't earn my love. Look at what I've done. Just look at your history. I delight in blessing my people. So you want to build me a house, David? That's cute. That's cute. But again, that's loving. I see this as a loving response from God. He sees David's heart who wants to do something in an act of worship. God's response here reminds me of a parent who's just received a gift from their very young child. Parents, when your kids were small, did they ever give you gifts? Chances are it wasn't something off your Amazon wish list, right? Maybe it was something scribbled in crayon, a little card, something homemade. They didn't have the money to get you something expensive, something of big monetary value, something impressive, but the gesture is the gift. And to parents, those are some of the, more, the most special things we can ever receive is a, such a loving gesture from a young child. Remember when I was a little kid, I used to give my parents their own stuff that they already had as gifts. Isn't that special? Remember, you, you, you remember your favorite pen? Here you go. And I would actually wrap it and I would give it to them as a gift. Looking for that spatula that you use all the time? Here it is. Here it is. I'm not sure my generosity has improved much over the years, but it's the thought that counts, right? I mean, I already know you love this thing, so here it is again. Why take a chance on something new? And this passage reminds me of that. Because anything that David would hope to give to God is already God's. God already owns the whole universe. He owns all the gold and the cedar and the stone. He doesn't need a house. But as a loving father, I see God receiving this gesture, this intention as an act of love from David. God tells us in Isaiah 66, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And so yes, as we've seen, God uniquely met with his people in this house, this tabernacle, this tent. But that tent did not contain an uncontainable God. Again, just see how different Yahweh is than all the other gods. All of creation is built by God. So God is telling David, I'm the one who builds. That's a nice idea, David, but I have a better idea. So look at the rest of verse 11. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. You see that? Thanks, David, for wanting to build me a house, but instead I'm going to build you a house. Let's turn this around just a little bit. So the Hebrew word here for house can mean the brick and mortar structure of a house, but it can also mean the people who make up a house, a household, a family line. And so, so God is using this double meaning of the word house here and turning things around on David. God lovingly reverses David's plan here. Thanks for wanting to bless me, David, but I'm going to bless you. 
And these incredible verses that follow, these promises are known as the Davidic Covenant, foundational passage of Scripture. Let's look at it, starting in the second half of verse 11. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words in this entire vision to David. The Davidic Covenant. What you may have noticed here, the word covenant doesn't actually appear here. But several other scriptures look back on this text clearly as an unconditional divine oath from God. For one thing, we see it looks back on the Abrahamic covenant with these promises of to give rest and this great name. Just like God promised Abraham all those years before, now God is expanding those promises through David. God points... David to a specific one of his descendants, one of his sons that God would would raise up. God says, actually, I will allow you to build me a house, but your son's going to do it. And we'll find out later that this is going to be Solomon. God goes along with David's idea to build a temple, but he says, hey, your son Solomon's going to do it. But the bigger promise here is that God would establish David's house forever. Three times right here in these few verses, God says forever, forever, forever. And David seemed to get it. David seemed to get at least a little bit of the magnitude of what God is promising here. And he offers this beautiful response in in awe and praise. He repeats back to God the promises that he's just heard forever, forever, forever. We don't have time to walk through David's whole response here, so I encourage you to take some time this week and prayerfully meditate on this passage. David's response. But let's look at just a few of the verses here. Verse 18 Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence, and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you also have spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, You have revealed all these great things to your servant. So David knew right away these promises went far beyond his immediate son and heir to the distant future. To a Davidic kingdom that would never end. And so as we read this passage in the year 2023, what's kind of our tension here as we read this? Is Is there a king on the Davidic throne Right now? It's kind of a trick question, so don't get ahead of me. See, it didn't take long for David's line to apparently fail. The nation goes into captivity and exile, and it seems this promise, it seems this hope is dashed. We heard some of Psalm 89 in the call to worship. In the the part of Psalm 89 that, that reminds 
God of these beautiful promises. But the part we didn't read right after that is when the psalmist wrestles with God about those very promises. Because the psalmist, after he lists out all the promises that we just read in 2 Samuel 7, he cries out to God and says, what happened? Lord, he says, where are the former acts of your faithful love that you swore to David in your faithfulness? And so these promises to David in 2 Samuel 7 take on more and more significance as time goes on in the nation. The prophets will build on these promises and they will look back to these promises as they look ahead and this text becomes a foundational piece of the messianic hope that God's people would look to. These promises become this foundational piece of the messianic hope. Because on the one hand, we know that God can't lie. And yet, we look at these promises forever, 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 and it's not completely fulfilled. This is the perspective of the prophets, right? And so their response of faith is to say that God who can't lie made a promise, and so it will be fulfilled. Thus, the messianic hope. And so this passage is a great example of a time, it happens often in Scripture, where God makes a promise that has an immediate fulfillment in history, but also it looks far ahead. It looks beyond where its complete fulfillment will happen in the distant future in Christ. And so this chapter in David's life becomes part of this grand story that God is telling. It looks back to the promises that God made to Abraham, and it looks forward to the promises God will make to us in Christ in the New Covenant. One of the very first words in the New Testament, Matthew 1, 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These promises that were made centuries before to David are finally being realized in the Messiah. And do you remember what the angel Gabriel said to Mary? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the what? The throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Sound familiar? It sounded familiar to Mary. Just like David, what's her response? This beautiful prayer of awe and praise. Because she realized what God was making her a part of, just like David realized what God was making her a part of. Just awe and wonder at the greatness of God. And that is our right response. When we see as believers in Christ that God has made us part of His grand story. That in Christ He's made us part of His eternal kingdom. How else can we respond but in awe, in praise? And so are we seeing how God revealing Himself to David here just expands and looks forward to the New Testament? and the promises that we know and enjoy in Christ. God's saying, thank you, David, for your worship and your devotion, but I'm the builder. I'm the blesser. I alone am the sovereign over the universe. I see humanity's helplessness, their inability to do anything about their their situation, their brokenness, their sin, their struggle. And so at the cross, Jesus again shows us that God is the doer. God is the blesser. Only the death and resurrection of Jesus could do anything about our need. 
And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this hope is for you. The promise of the Gospel is that God gives us everything you need as a gift. Not to be earned, to be achieved, but to be received. God is the doer. God is the initiator. God is the blesser. And for the Christian, this text reminds us that the kingdom of God does not depend on us. Not even a little bit. I like how John Golden Gay puts it, Old Testament scholar. He says, Jesus never talks about our establishing God's kingdom or furthering it or building it or extending it. In the Gospels, the only things we do to God's kingdom are wait for it, see it, enter it, seek it, receive it, inherit it, and declare that it has come. In other words, we don't have an active relationship to it at all. See, God is the builder. God is the builder of houses and households and kingdoms. The kingdom of Christ is here and it's coming in fullness with or without our help. But see, God invites us to be a part of what he's doing. That's the difference. We want to do great things for God, and that's an awesome desire. That's a gesture of worship to God, and God sees that. God knows our hearts. But God sometimes comes down, and like he does to David here, he lovingly reframes our intentions to say, I see your heart, but I'm the builder. I'm the builder. I alone can do great things. So how about you get in on what I'm doing? Believer, this is a text that's a call for us to rest in the promises of Christ. The promises of a God who can't lie. Wherever you are this morning, whatever you're facing in your personal life, it's worry, grief, heartache, pain, illness, you can also rest in the God who can't lie. The same God who made this covenant with David is the same God who is with you right now where you are. The same God has promised in Christ to make you a member of his eternal kingdom. And so like David and like Mary and like so many who have gone before us, let's have a right response of just awe and wonder and praise for this God, our creator, our sustainer, sovereign, gracious God. Let's close in prayer with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 89. I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. For I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround him. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let us